Hello, ladies and gentlemen and otherwise, or hello, cats and kittens, or who knows, it's been a long year this last week, and we're just saying hello to everybody. Hello, I'm Mike. And I'm Nancy. Hi, Nancy. And this is the third mini John of My Favorite Malady, a medical history podcast out of the Mütter Museum. If Nancy and I sound a bit loopy, uh, like I said, this uh, last week's been a heck of a year. I don't know, whichever way you want to do it. We've both been dealing with a lot. Yeah. It's either been four days or 87 years. It's unclear. Yeah, nobody's really sure. So this is the mini John. This is not our full episode. Our full episodes come every other week where we talk about our favorite maladies. These mini Johns are just the little mini episodes just to update you on what's going on. If we have any corrections to make, we make those. If we have any events to announce, we make those. And, uh, you know, sometimes we have a little bit of small talk or banter or, good Lord, that is my cat if you can hear him. I don't know if you can. <laughs> He's can. very upset that I'm podcasting without him. Yes. Thankfully, yeah. my cat seems to be bothering my partner right now. So. Oh, good. So, without further ado, we do have some corrections for last week's episode. That was the one on Fossey Jaw and Robert Galbraith Heath. Now, that episode didn't quite have the number of downloads I was expecting. I thought it would take off. But then I realized there is something else going on in the world right now that is maybe distracting people from uh, listening to podcasts. And it's completely understandable because it's distracting me from listening to podcasts or making podcasts as well. We record these mini Johns of the week that you hear them. So it's a busy week. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's get started. Nancy, do you have any corrections or updates uh for us? I don't have corrections, but I have some notes. And so I'm sure we've mentioned before, we do have doctors from the fellowship uh, of the College of Physicians review our notes slash recordings before we publish them. Can you hear my cat scratching on the scratch post? Yeah, but it's no less than my cat screaming at the okay. door. So guys, we have cats and dogs. All right. If you're listening to this podcast and you're upset by the extraneous noise, we're recording at home. We don't have studios. We do have pets. Meow, 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 meow. Meow, meow, meow. Woof, meow, meow. Scratch, scratch. Scamper, yep. scamper. Well, uh, Dr. Stephen Walsh uh, reviewed my notes on Fossey Jaw. Uh, it's got a background in toxicology and had a couple notes for us to share. Shoot. Uh, they say it's a few tangential things we may want to add, but we don't feel obligated. Well, Dr. Walsh, I do feel obligated because you know things that are interesting and I want to share them. So the first note is that apparently Fossey Jaw is making a bit of a comeback. And uh, there's a, a link to an article describing, you know, this this comeback. And it's it's not occupational exposure, but a closely related condition con that's called biphosphonate, biphosphonate related osteonecrosis of the jaw, a.k.a. bronze, B-R-O-N-J. These patients are receiving high-dose biphosphonate drugs for various cancers or severe osteoporosis, and fortunately are typically less severe in nature than a quote-unquote classic Fossey jaw. Dr. Walsh says that they saw one of these patients a few weeks ago in our tox clinic. White phosphorus is occasionally still employed in fireworks manufacturing as well. Bronze is like what I would name a caveman if I was writing a caveman book. Like a French caveman. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever read uh, the Clan of the Cave Bear books by Gina All? No. They were kind of groundbreaking books about a, a young Cro-Magnon woman named Ayla, who was orphaned and adopted by a Neanderthal clan. And I believe that Brun was one of the Neanderthals that wow. she interacted with. The first book is fascinating. It's clear that the author uh, did a ton of anthropological and archaeological research. 
And then as the books progress, it becomes less interesting and kind of more softcore porn. Oh. Into fairly hardcore porn. Um, she just adds more and more sex scenes to each novel as it goes, yeah. uh, which were quite the awakening for young me. Let me tell you, because we had a teacher who read the first one and was like, oh, these are educational. And then put it <laughs> in our like, classroom and put the entire series in our classroom. And by the time I got to book four, I was like, oh, oh, can you can, wow. Oh, uh, okay. This was in sixth grade, I think. Yes. Ayla um, was also like the Leonardo da Vinci of caveman times. She invented everything. She invented like the needle and thread. And she invented uh, the atlatl and a whole bunch of other things. Anyway. Did Crazy digression. About, did you read about the frozen cave bear that that was found a few weeks ago? Yeah, pretty exciting, huh? Yeah, that's what I thought. That's where I thought we were going with this cave bear conversation. But no, but um, but if you're into like anthropology and archaeology, the first clan of the cave bear novel is fascinating, and you know the rest aren't. Well, so what, the the further you get, the worse they get, in my opinion. But the first couple, at least, of first reading, are are worth reading. Uh, and they posit like Neanderthals because of the Neanderthal skull shape, um, they could have smaller uh, areas devoted to speech of the brain than we do. So they're actually posited in the novels as using sign language mainly and very limited uh, verbal vocabulary, which I thought was an interesting touch. There's no evidence for that necessarily in the historical fossil record, yeah. but it is a, a fun speculative element. Yes. Well, I, I do have a couple more notes. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, no, that's okay. I mean, listen, I'm, just going off here. I'm always here to talk about a cave bear. But yeah. um, all right. Uh, but, 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 white phosphorus was a rather popular historical rodent side. It was used. It used to be packed in peanut butter when the small mammal would eat the quote unquote brick containing the rodent side. Peanut butter would be digested away and the white phosphorus exposed to the air in the GI tract, causing ignition and death of the animal. Basically, the rodent would be incinerated from the inside out. Yeah, I mean, I would worry about the mess that would come with that. I, I mean, also, like, if a rat spontaneously combusts inside your walls. Yeah, I mean, maybe it wouldn't be enough to to kind of, like, fully incinerate but still think about like the smells you know it just seems like a bad idea to have something that sets your pests on fire like just like it's it's just very showy you know i mean and also cruel let's not forget cruel but yeah i I, i'm here for flair but it's a little much all right (laughs) third note Case reports of white phosphorus ingestion typically describe, quote, smoking or, quote, flaming, vomitous, and or stools since the phosphorus ignites in the GI tract, similar to how rodents meant their untimely end. Potassium permanganate, irrigation of the GI tract, uh, extinguished the white phosphorus, apparently. So, I mean, you know, aside from glowing, we could also have smoking or flaming vomitous, which... You know, the three genders, I guess. <laughs> uh, note four. Oh, tag yourself. Right, I'm really, I, I was like scraping um, rust all day and I, you know, I'm doing like home improvement projects. So I'm a little out there. Anyway, hepatic failure is slash was often seen in cases involving white phosphorus ingestion. And that was the only quote major effect that wasn't discussed in our previous episode. Uh, The way that this typically went down, according to Dr. Walsh, is that if the patient survived the initial 24 to 36 hours after ingestion, liver failure would often manifest on day three or four. 
So this is kind of less of a uh, white phosphorus vapor exposure, but if you, similar to the mice in this situation, ate a good amount, or not a good amount, but the bad amount of white phosphorus uh, within uh, 24 to 36 hours of ingestion, your liver would start to turn and within three or four days. I mean, that's bad and all. It is, but I would still be more worried about my glowing, flaming poop. Yeah, I mean, when you think about smoking, flaming, or glowing vomit, or or excrement, there's definitely a lot of other questions that come to mind, at least for me, such as contact burns. Does Do you get contact burns from that? Because that would be very inconvenient. I would just assume I was possessed by this the devil, actually. <laughs> like, that would be my very first thought. It's like, oh, okay, to, to the church oh, I go. Satan's here, right. Yeah, exorcism time, Father. That the power of Christ compels you! The power of Christ compels you! <laughs> uh, that's what I would assume. Yeah, that does sound like something that, like, out of a horror movie. Like, a small child would be possessed by a demon if Oh yeah, things were happening. I just made a poltergeist last week, so I. Oh, how did that go? It it was good. She, I, truthfully, I don't think she was as scared as she thought she was going to be. She really didn't like the clown doll, but you know, the kid like gutted that clown doll at a certain right. point. Folks, we are talking about Anna Doty, the curator of the Mütter Museum, who had never seen Poltergeist up until last week. Yes. So we, for Science on Tap Philadelphia, we've been doing these once a month kind of Netflix parties where there's basically a chat room next to a, a Netflix film. Uh, there's a, it's a Google Chrome extension, but she'd never seen it. Uh, but given that she has done cemetery recovery on top of housing developments, right? or I guess the other way around under housing developments, uh, you know, seemed relevant to her experience as a forensic anthropologist. So, uh, but she's big, big weenie for horror movies, which is weird because- she really is. In a previous life, she was licensed to dive, you know, like cave, dive in underwater caves to recover remains, which sounds way scarier to me than anything oh. else. Have you seen but, the mortality rates on cave diving? I yeah, that's. I, I'd rather skydive while juggling chainsaws. Like that is. Yeah, uh, apparently she made a deal with her mother. Said you can't do cave diving, and she said okay. Then she said I'm doing cavern diving. So. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, I, I don't think it freaked her out nearly as much. I think just the the clown and uh, the parenting aspect of like tell your kid to go towards the light. She was like, I would never, could not. So uh, no, I don't think it scared her as much as she thought it was going to. Because again, you know, 1982. Right. Also, did you but, tell her about the curse, the poltergeist curse? Uh, we didn't really get into that. Oh, maybe she'd be afraid of that. Yeah, but again, as soon as the, like, not very convincing bodies started popping up, especially the one that had all the jewelry on, you know? Right, right, right. right. She was kind of like, that's not what bodies look like. And she was too distracted by the inaccuracy to really be, to be too scared, which... You know, there were a lot of bodies in that movie that were actual, real human skeletons though like not fake ones real ones oh. a fake skeleton 
Yeah. So in the movie Poltergeist specifically, quite a few of those bodies are actual bodies yeah. or actual human remains. The ones that the ones that still have tissue on did not look very good to me. Ah, so they added tissue because they're all skeletal. Oh. So they added like uh, toilet paper. Yeah, like paper on it to make tissue. Yeah. But the the bones themselves, I don't know if all of them, but many of them, many many of them, oh. like the scene where the mom is in the swimming pool. Yeah. And there's like those are, are real human remains that are popping up around her okay and that actress was super upset when she heard because nobody told her they were real she assumed that they were props uh, they were actual yeah. real dead people like a safe assumption that's that's why they say that the poltergeist curse is a thing because they use real bodies which is ridiculous because many 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 hollywood movies use real remains it's actually more common than using uh prop skeletons at least mm -hmm. it was before like the the late 80s early 90s so, you know, like Bride of Frankenstein, any of those old, old universal horror movies, odds are those are real skeletons when you see a skeleton in them. Yeah. Example. And many um, horror movies, Goonies you know, use real skeletons, you know. Good to respect the dignity of people who you can't confirm if they gave permission or not. That's, a, you know, obviously a big moral quandary for us is that we don't have documentation and we can't possibly right. have documentation for a lot of these items. But I guess we're also not like, paper mache faces onto them or putting rhinestone jewelry around their necks. No. So well, the, I mean, the issue is if you go to a Hollywood prop house and you want a realistic looking fake skeleton, it was, it, maybe it's cheaper now, I don't know, but at the time, it was much cheaper just to go to a medical supply house and buy a, a, a skeleton for uh, anatomical study than mm -hmm. it was to go to a Hollywood prop house and buy uh, like a carefully molded, well-made fake skeleton. So... Prop masters just did that for many years. And then, you know, prop houses would merge and close or swap props or so on. Yeah. And the original provenance of those uh, remains got lost, but it was, hey, it's a perfectly good skeleton to put in your movie, right? Today, uh, you know, dip, unless it's something that's already in your possession, which I wouldn't necessarily condone from an ethical standpoint, but, you know, if you already own it, that's one thing in terms of cost. But Real human skeletons, I mean, A, most medical supply, the only place I know to buy them, you need a medical license to buy it. Uh, and if you're buying it in kind of the private market, it's going to cost like two or three grand, depending on the condition. Um, yeah, you can also go, go online to Skulls Unlimited, who does really amazing replicas and casts of real skulls. Oh, their bone clones are fantastic. Yeah, yes. Much more, yeah. much more affordable price point just as real looking i have one i have a one human skull for um drawing purposes that i got from them that is quite nice so yeah. if you're if but, you're looking you know, for skeletons for your movie give don't get a fake one Be this is this is a whole nother talk we could have about why <laughs> it's now so difficult to get real human skeletons on the primary market anymore you know since yeah. hasn't since the 1970s really uh, but yeah. let's move on uh <laughs> I don't have much in the way of corrections. Uh, Dr. Ken Weiss, who is a fellow of the college with whom I have worked before. And I don't know whether Dr. Weiss thinks that I'm uh, smart or a buffoon. The jury is still out because both times I worked with him, uh, I was actually in wardrobe for a television show I was on, a television pilot I was shooting, I should say. And so he invited me to a conference and I told him, yeah, I can come to your conference and I can present at your conference. But right afterwards, I have to go to set. And he's like, oh, no problem. So I showed up in wardrobe because I did not have time to change between the two trips. Okay. So I show up to his very serious uh, medical conference, medical legal conference to do a presentation. Uh, it was on animal hoarding, which is not something we need to get into now. It's a whole separate thing. But 
I work with animal hoarding sometimes. Uh, and I show up wearing, you know, like a, a punk vest and all my piercings shined up fresh and a lot of tattoos showing and like, you know, ripped black jeans and combat boots. And I think that he was expecting when I said I would just show up in wardrobe that I was going to show up in like, like a I don't know, or something, right? Yeah. Not in like, you know, full uh, goth punk drag. Yeah. yeah. And I did that to him not once, but twice. Uh, so now I think he probably thinks I'm some sort of like bizarre goth clown. But he was kind enough to offer some opinions on my presentation on Robert Galbraith Heath, our last episode. He mostly liked it. He just wanted to make sure that everybody knew that there was a difference between the unethical experiments that Heath was con- conducting, jamming people's brains full of spikes and shooting them with electricity, and modern electroconvulsive therapy and modern deep brain stimulation therapy, which is not that, which is an actual useful, approved ethical therapy. And I, I like to think I made that point uh, in my segment last time, but it's worth reiterating. Yeah, and just making sure that people know it's not like spikes sticking out of your skull today. Right. As much Correct. as that would look good with your punk outfit. Um, oh, full Hellraiser. It'll be full Hellraiser. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I do know people that have skull implants that are not necessarily ordered by a doctor. Whether yeah, but they're those people doing like at home cyborg stuff or even just cosmetic modifications. Those like dermal anchors or some of them are dermal anchors, but some of them are actually like uh, directly yeah. into the skull anchored. So they drill a hole in the skull and they put coral in there. Yeah. I've and the skull that. and the coral grow in together. So it actually becomes right. part of the they skull. They have a skin covering over them, though, right? So Usually, but you can also mount things like horns or spikes or antenna on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the trepanation at home crowd, which I don't have much contact with, but I know they exist. The folks yeah. that did auto trepanation. A trepanation will almost certainly be a my favorite malady episode uh, coming down the pipe. Yeah, sometime. trepanation in, in general. Yeah, would be a fun. There's many kinds, many forms throughout history. There are. Mm-hmm. And still being used today, albeit not with uh, the approval of anybody with an MD after the name, I don't think. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess just making sure that people know it's not just like a spike to the brain anymore, but uh, right. the, the right. kind of fundamental principle is the same. And, you know, if any of you out there are listening to this and you're on social media and you have friends that are super into J.K. Rowling or super mad at J.K. Rowling, I would consider it a personal favor if you forwarded them that episode, uh, only because I put a whole heck of a lot of work into it. And as a general call to action, we would love to hear more from our listeners. You can hit us up on the social media at uh, Mooder Museum or at Mooder Museum. You just still, still say at anymore? I don't know. I mean, I, I guess know. we're at Booter Museum on Instagram, also on Twitter. I mean, we're on Facebook. So yeah, so for right now, the best way to reach us is via social media on Twitter, on Instagram, even on Facebook, Booter Museum, M-U-T-T-E-R-M-U-S-E-U-M. You don't have to include the umlaut. And we would love to hear from you, or if you feel moved, if you'd leave a review for us on iTunes or Spotify or Google Play or wherever you like to leave one. Of course, we'd prefer good reviews. Good reviews make me happy. One-star reviews make me sad, but however the spirit moves you, if, if you want to be honestly, tell us that we suck, you know, I support free expression in that regard. Yeah, we're, we're open to, to critique, but though I guess it's, it's easier for me to say that because Mike does most of the reading of the comments and then just tells me about them for the most part. Yes. Oh, a couple of people said some very nice things about me personally on Tumblr, mm-hmm. which thank you. It's strange. I'm not used to being complimented by people I don't know on internet forums. You're not, but, you're not uh, considering what the compliment was. I, I'm, I'm, no, I'm definitely not. Neither <laughs> of them. Definitely not. Nope. Yeah. 
for we I did want to mention uh I feel like I've I rag on Mike too much for for a lot of his bachelor child recipes but he does know how to cook other things that aren't corned beef hash and I do in fact I'm quite a good cook thank you very much yeah uh, I have some pretensions towards being a, like a fancy cook I have a lot of the fancy equipment I have my own stand mixer I feel like you're the opposite of most people where most people would only talk about the fancy things they made, but you're like, let me tell you about this garbage I had the other day. I mean, look, anybody can pick uh, a recipe out of a cookbook and make it and nobody can say whether they made it well or not. They can just brag about it. Right. Yeah. But I made some cookies from the um, uh, Momofuku milk bar cooking book the other day and they were delicious and one of my favorite cookies to make, but like, whatever, who cares? I made good cookies out of a cookbook. Anybody can do that. The bachelor chow that I make, that is unique to me. It's got, it's got flair. It does have, it does have flair. It does Pretty have flair. It's flair. I had a, I had a lovely uh, salmon filet the other day. I grilled it with a little bit of uh, balsamic glaze. And I had some, uh, some lovely green beans and garlic. And then afterwards, I had a can of corned beef hash, just to spite you personally, Nancy. Yes, that was, that was dessert, huh? That was dessert. Was the uh, you know what? I didn't even I didn't cook the corned beef hash at all. Just cold right out of the can, like Rorschach and oh. Watchmen. No, I kid. I actually I did cook it. I cooked it on the grill. But okay. before before I stopped eating animals, I did enjoy the corned beef hash. But I don't think I don't think I could I could do it raw. It would have to be you know it's all gets all crispy when you cook it up. Yeah, it's the crispy. I mean, it's pre cooked, so it's not like it's raw in the can, but it's the crispiness that. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, everybody. Now we're going into yeah. really into the weeds. And do... this has to go real quick, and I don't really have a long time to edit, so we're probably going to leave a lot of this nonsense in. Yep. Whoop. Well, we should do an episode about uh, botulism from bad canned food. That would be mm-hmm. fun. Botulism. Mm. Right. So I already said, if you would please kindly write a review for us, give us five stars or one star or however many stars you think we deserve. Uh, Hit us up on social media. Recommend us to your weirdo goth slash science nerd slash medical history nerd friends. We'd really appreciate it. Or your followers on the social medias, if you could, because we would like that. Because yeah. higher numbers make my serotonin go up, and I need all the serotonin I can get right now. And there's also nice things on the Mooter Museum social media that don't have cats meowing in the background, if that's more your speed. Anyway, yes, like, comment, subscribe all that good stuff and we will see you next week for a longer version less cats oh you want to uh, you want to give a a hint as to what we're discussing next week oh yes so so hints for next week um hmm there you go my my hint for next week for what for what my topic is is handbook for the recently or soon to be deceased i guess we should say yeah and also next week we kind of a little bit become a true crime podcast so if you have any true crime podcast friends you're like oh i don't want to hear about all this icky medical stuff next week is a little bit of crossover a little bit of true crime slash medical history slash scrotal trauma crossover oh no i forgot about that it's it's a triple scrotum yeah we didn't really mean for it to be. It was just kind of a weird. It's like when you show up in in the same shirt as your friend at school, but the shirt is scrotal injuries. It's exactly like that. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to this mini John. Adios. Bye.